This is Jubilee Street, the Hollywood Walk of Fame in Jubilee Street, Florida. I am your illustrious co-host, seminal co-host, Jake Curtis, joined here today on Jubilee Street, a Nick Cave slash music, mostly music now podcast with, I can't introduce him myself, let's let him introduce himself. Ian McCurtis coming to you live from New York City, Georgia. Ian, your uh, the, the listeners can't see this, but your background looks great. I like all the ficus, ficai plants. There's a new ficus tree. New ficus tree. Well, I don't want to go out on a limb here, but I might have to pull a branch to mm-hmm. a little bit lower to talk about this week's song. Ian, you want to tell them what we're talking about? The seminal, we use seminal twice in the intro, probably like normal. Song, Lay Me Low. Gonna sink me in the snow. They're gonna throw back their heads and crow. When I go, they're gonna jump and shout. They're gonna wave their arms. Lay me low. Now, as Nick Cavian listeners are familiar, this is from the Let Love In record. Um, kind of a kind of a, an interesting cut in comparison to the other songs on the album. Um, I don't know. It's it was a good one. I I, I had fun. You know, reading about this song, listening to the lyrics, uh, what were your first impressions? I can't remember my first impressions because that was so long ago. I'm so old now. But this is my favorite song on Let Love In. Your favorite song? Hot Take a Look. I guess a uh, uh, favorite song other than Red, Red, Red Right Hand. I guess that should be a, a caveat always. But yeah, second favorite song. I love this song. Why do you love it? What do you love about it? I think it's so fun. Just, you know, it's it's the character in Nick Cave we love, like the the huge ego, him imagining what it's mm-hmm. going to be like when he dies, and it's all this pomp and circumstance and parades and balloons and people crying. and I don't know, it's just, it's just really fun to me, but I don't think it's it's a fun song for everyone, I think. I think a lot of people think the song's very dark. It's kind of self-deprecating, right? I don't know. Uh, expand on that, because I don't think I hear so, it that way, but I, I think I know what you mean. I saw a couple comments. There was a Reddit thread that was, it's, it's like, you know, this week's Nick Cave weekly song discussion, week 15, and they did Lay Me Low from Let Love In. And the first comment said, fucking hilarious song. Have a lot of love for it and its ludicrous pomposity. <laughs> Have joked with a friend about having, having it played at our funeral for, for the laughs. I remember Nick saying that he doesn't like it much, though. And I think if you see it as a parody of self-aggrandizement, then I think it works wonderfully. He misspelled wonderfully. Sorry, indelible fudge to call you out like that. So 
I didn't really see it like that. I kind of, I kind of like it. Reminded me a lot of this song that's in "Oh Brother Where Art Thou," where um, I mean, everybody knows it. It's like going down to the river to pray, like, and it's just kind of, it's got, it's repetitive, and it, you keep chanting it and repeating it. It's a lot like the um, "Umbaya" from Earthlings that we discussed last episode. Like, uh, it, it, there's a lot of room for. Nick to really kind of croon and just like have fun on this track. Whereas like lover man is a lot busier and, 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 you know, even like jangling Jack, which I think is probably a, a low point on this record. And both of those songs we've discussed on prior episodes. So check that out. Um, Jubilee street podcast on Spotify and Apple podcasts. Um, I don't know. I, I found the song really fun. I think that it's one of those like, songs about death that's like not a downer so the thing about this song is nick cave doesn't like it very much mm-hmm. that I, I think he's publicly said in multiple times during his q a tours he was doing before covid that he just doesn't like this song he thinks it was like making a mockery of death and death isn't a subject to joke about which is Probably a mind frame an older person, you know, that's not a mind frame we're going to yeah. have right now at 30 years old, but yeah, he doesn't seem to care for it much now. And I don't know if he ever cared for it much. If you'll get setlist.fm, mm-hmm. he's only played it 11 times ever. According to that four times in 2004, seven times in 2014, doesn't look like they were even playing it when the album came out in the nineties. Crazy. But I do think this is like a fan favorite. I, I think it, it encapsulates like how I think me and a lot of people think in a cave is like larger than life, but doesn't take himself too seriously. Like, you know, it's all a gimmick. It's all a show. You know, the first thing that popped in my mind for like the the theme of this song is do you remember that Looney Tunes cartoon with the frog? And uh, there's like one guy who finds the dead frog. And then whenever he's alone, the frog will come to life and start dancing and singing. Yeah. That's what this makes me like. I just imagine Nick Cave in a top hat and I'm playing a lot of Bloodborne. So top hats and like kind of like pompous clothing it's it just on my mind but i just imagine like nick cave like the, the, the like there would be such a good video you could make for this where it's just the beginning and it's kind of like church bells and it's kind of there's a, everybody's like kind of like around his casket like crying and then the music comes in and he just raises up out of the out of the coffin and he's just like kind of, he's got like a like a snarl on his face like a happy snarl and he just starts like singing along in the audience everybody's like oh my gosh like this song feels celebratory I, I i wouldn't ever read it as like a mockery of death i think that this is like the only way to look at death is take my hand make a stand and blow it all to hell like you're going to die at some point you know take like make a stand like make a have have a purpose i don't know i think that section of the song is you know I think this is the the part of the song people don't care for as much because I think the song is basically encouraging suicide. Like he's mm-hmm. talking about 
all the stuff that's going to happen when he dies. And he's like, if you want that too, take my hand and kill yourself, basically. Yeah. Which, we, we've lost people to suicide. It's a serious topic, but... I don't know. I mean, let's just let's just get into this. Like, I, I've had very dark periods, and things that make light of death make me feel better. And I know everyone doesn't work that way, but even at the lowest of lows, and I was you know thinking about killing myself, something like this would make me feel better. But I know for a lot of people, it would not at all. You know, people are just wired differently. But there, you know, the gallows humor always works for me. Yeah, I mean, that's why people like gallows humor is be, you know, it appeals to like the basis, like most inappropriate cultural, you know, taboos. And, you know, that's why like when people make jokes about death or bestiality or violence, like if it's done well, it's usually some of the funniest material ever. That's why I don't I I, I don't know. I mean. I was at a funeral when I was a kid and I was like 17 or 18 and I had a a friend, a a close friend pass away and you know, I had to carry the casket and it was really sad, but I think like, I think I maybe cried a little bit at the church service for him, but I felt relatively emotionless the whole day. And then we eventually get back to the kid's parents' house where they're holding a reception. And, you know, there's deli meats and cheese and crackers. And in my, I think in my head, and I, I wasn't, I still was like, you know, formulating like my sense of the world and my own sense of humor. And I think that I thought like that it all seemed so stupid that we had to do this because like our friend died. And like, I just felt like, I didn't want to do anything except just be sad, but you have to do all, you had to do all these things. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in a circle with my friend, um, uh, Mateo, who, you know, and then this guy, Zach. And I remember being like, like I made some like comment that I, I, I think now like 12 years later was probably a joke that I didn't fully think through, but I think I was like, I'm trying to remember exactly what I said, but I basically, it was a sentiment of like, uh, yeah, it's really fun being here. (laughs) And uh, like, we're sitting in their basement where I had been like hanging out with him like probably months prior, like my, my, the friend that passed away. And Zach just looks at me and he's like, dude, that's really messed up that you would say that. (laughs) But to me, like, that's how I, that's how I dealt with it. Like I was like, I just had to like make fun of it. And, I couldn't really do that. I didn't really yeah. do it. I didn't do it again after that because, you know, it wasn't appropriate. I I remember when um, my significant other was having like panic attacks and her therapist told her that your body can only panic for a short amount of time. Like a panic attack can only last a couple of minutes mm-hmm. because you can't always be panicking. Then it's not panic. Then it's just how you are you know what i mean yeah and i think grief is the same way like you might always have this undercurrent of sadness but that grief that like we think we should have at a funeral where you're just like breaking down and crying yeah you can't control when that grief hits 
And when it hits, yeah. it's only going to hit for a short amount of time because you can't operate like that for a long period. Mm-hmm. And I think I think we all like have that weird feeling at funerals and stuff like that where we're like, you can't plan out when that grief's going to hit you or if it's going to hit you at all. And you feel like you should. Like, why am I not more sad? And then six months yeah, later, and- it'll hit you while you're taking the garbage out or something. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's so uncontrollable. Yeah, you, you know, the way that, like, life hits you is really, like, in, in all of these kinds of ways, is it just, that just, that comment reminded me of the Sopranos about how, like, you know, Tony would deal with people that he'd, like, you know, had affairs with that would kill themselves, and then he, there'd be, like, a whole arc of a season where he would, like, see them in his dreams and have like these like rage fits whenever he would think of this person. Um, and that's one of the reasons I really like that show is just how well it covered. Like it's insane how that is like one of the first prestige television shows and they just knocked it out of the park with like all that stuff. But, um, you know, this, this is, is reminding me, podcast. I, I don't know. I don't know if we ever talked about this. It was been a long time. It's so, at your dad's funeral, one of the biggest memories I have, or at the wake, I'm, I, I can't even remember. Um, like me, you, I think Chad was there, Jeff, maybe Tyler, I don't remember. We were all just in this like break room they had there, like a cafeteria, and we were all just yeah. eating like this fruit platter. Uh-huh. And it was like, it reminded me what you said about uh, your friend Joey's funeral, I guess, uh, where it was like nice like because we were all vulnerable together which is something is like men we weren't often doing just Uh like hanging out being emotional and like that shouldn't be a good memory because it was a funeral but it is like it was like this is a nice moment we're having together yeah it was weird because i brought my camera and i like took pictures of like all my friends that like that came and like I had pictures where I was with you guys or just of you guys. And when I look back, like, honestly, I don't even know if I have those photos anymore. Um, but like, there's a picture where it's like me, you river, Sonia, Mike, Travis, and I think Chad and Jeff and Corey. And there's a lot of good memories in that day where, you know, I I think that you don't really realize, like I was a person who I had a lot of problems dealing with, like always worrying that there was nobody that cared about me, even though I I always knew that was true. I I was insecure about it. I had anxiety about it. And that day it was sort of proved to me that like people did care. And I think that maybe I'm starting to see why Nick doesn't like this song as much in hindsight and maybe it doesn't resonate with him. And I still think it's a great song, but I do think that like the you know sound of flugelhorn, the sea will rage, the sky will storm, all man and beast will mourn when I go. I think like we do often romanticize death, which is okay. I think it's okay to make art and like be creative about it, but also like the things they don't tell you about death are like how much money that you have to pay and how there are probably people who have gone into debt because of a funeral, even if they did, like, the cheapest funeral ever. Like, 
You have to find a plot of land. You have to pay for it. I think there might even be places that make you pay rent on it prior. Um, I mean, insane, insane stuff with death. That's like, I think we make fun of it until like, if we're the ones who go and then we like everybody around us is left to deal with like the wreckage. I think that's like, that's tough to deal with in the, the aftermath of a song's sentiment like this, you know? That's the tough thing about art is I think this is... Okay, so this is, I think, the idea of a suicidal person who's like, I'm going to commit suicide to show the world. Like, everyone will mm-hmm. be so sad and they'll appreciate, they'll appreciate me when I'm gone and I'll show them. Like, that sort of mind, for, mind frame... And he's like, well, let me carry this out, that idea out to its logical conclusion and then take it in a ridiculous direction and I'll make it. Everyone's so sorry I'm gone and there's parades and... Yeah. You know, you just get silly with it. Kind of like uh, that Robin Williams movie, World's Greatest Dad. Like, play, Love that playing, movie. Playing on the idea of suicide and turning into this like ridiculous extreme, you know? Mm-hmm. As a piece of art that works... But you never, you know, this is what you're saying with music. You never know how people are going to hear it. I'm sure someone has been depressed and heard this song and was like, oh, yeah, like, fuck everybody, which I don't think Mm -hmm. is what was intended. But you can't dictate how people interpret your art. And I would guess that's probably why Nick Cave doesn't care for the song. Because I'm sure people have probably taken it seriously. Yeah, I mean, I'm sh- it's I'm sure it's also like a similar sentiment to like how in the '90s, like any song that mentioned like bullets or guns or sex, like Tippy, what was that her name? Tipper Gore would just like oh, yeah. you know complain about it, and I'm sure that there's a part of this that's like Nick doesn't want to, in hindsight, doesn't want to inspire anyone to hurt themselves or others, and you know this isn't like you know. I don't think you could have sold anybody on a song like this, like being like, this is the devil's music, but it definitely, I could see why that would be controversial. Yeah, this is like deeper than that. It's like deeper than controversial because this is... Right. Uh, I don't know. This is just touching on a very sad topic, but in with non-controversial language, which is maybe even more dangerous because... You can't flag it, you know? Right. It doesn't have those, like, buzzwords. It's just out there. Do you... Do you think that, like... Does that any of that, like, detract from the song for you? Because I don't think it does for me. Not for me, because, like I, like I said, like, I'm just not wired that way. Like, even when I'm sad and at my lowest points, I uh, sad things make me feel better because... I think for some people... Uh, they're at a low place and they see something that's sad and horrible and it takes them even lower. They're like, oh, the world is fucked. Like, there is no hope. But for me, I see something like that and I feel this, like, human connection. Like, oh, they're feeling what I'm feeling and we're in this, like... You're not alone. Yeah, we're. I'm not alone. We're in this, like, human experience Mm -hmm. together. So even the most fucked up sad thing, like can make me feel better because I feel like it's a kindred spirit to me, you know? Yeah, that's really beautiful, Ian. 
I uh, I know that feeling like but some from people other music like, that I've heard too. My girlfriend doesn't like to watch sad movies a lot because it makes her feel bad. But for me, I love watching sad movies. It makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that interesting? My girlfriend doesn't like watching uh, scary movies very often. Like, I remember I had to convince her to go see Midsommar because, you know, of how scary Hereditary was. And um, she really enjoyed it, but she was also like, yeah, I'm going to have to decompress from that for like two days. <laughs> like, we're just, people are just wired differently. Um, one thing I was, uh, I was reminded of from our past is do you remember there's a song on um what's the what's the second touche amore record called that was like kind of their breakout record uh parting the sea between brightness and me i think i know the song you're talking oh yeah about. the, the most like, one the most early 2010s fucking track or album mm-hmm. title ever um besides like Truth. big pile of leaves or uh Something like that. So anyway, they had that song where it's like, it's like something, something when you look at me at my funeral or like when you play something at my funeral. And I remember hearing that song um, and one of the things that I used to always think about as a kid is if I... the song if anyone wants to check it out. Right. Thank you. Because it's been so long since I've heard it. Um... There is like this thing that I had when I was a kid where I always was like there would there would be these times where I would want to like I didn't want to die, I didn't want to feel pain, but I wished that I could like disappear completely from people's lives so that like no one would ever remember me. But then I would have moments where if I died like I'd be like play this song at my funeral and then like you know Ian gets my guitar, you know Mike gets my, you know, X-Men toys. Like, my brother gets this. Like, I, I like you. And, and then it's like, I, I want, I hope people, like, talk about me as a good person. And, you know, there's all these sentiments in here where he's like, uh, they'll try telephoning my mother. They'll end up getting my brother who will spill the story on some long gone lover and then the other line i liked was they will interview my teachers who will say i was one of god's sorrier creatures there will be informative six page features and i think like it's a very like a uniform tendency when people die is you're usually put in the paper ironically i think sometimes you have to pay more money depending on where you get listed in the paper like a lot of people die and sometimes they just there's just like a list of them like after the main obituaries and i think it's it's like it's so interesting how much we think about like what's going to happen to us after we die and i think that this song is kind of poking fun at that it's like oh cool they're going to write like a six page feature about nick cave but like what is what good does that do you like what good does like cuz you're never going to benefit from it I, I don't know there's like a there's a futility it's like it's like you should always think about death because you should always use that as like a momentum to like, you know, work harder on things that might be better worth remembering. Does that make sense? Yeah, it feels. Well, so this is this is kind of like a cool sister song to that Touche Mori song now that you bring it up. Like this is a sillier yeah. version. And that Touche Mori song, there's a part where 
the whole song's about, like you said, like fantasizing about your funeral. And there's a part where he's like, if there's more importance on the music played than who attends, something like mm-hmm. that, that idea. And I'm the same as you, Jake. There's been times where I'm like, I like there's a song, you know, I'm listening to something I've loved my whole life. And I'm like, oh, I hope they play this at my funeral. The one that I remember vividly like telling you and some other people was Sleepwalker Capsules by At The Drive-In because there's a line in there that's uh, dripping with drool mm. from the nerve of this yeah. sentence, which I feel like would be a great like line. But then it's like, could you imagine like being in like a sterile funeral room and like my body's sitting there and that song plays? Like, I feel like that would make everybody way sadder or just like well, feel really weird. Totally. Like it, it Cody or our friend Cody's funeral. Uh, oh, this is a good example. When they played like Jawbreaker Kiss the Bottle. And I knew like how happy he would be to know that they're playing that like at his funeral. That made me more emotional than any of the eulogies, just knowing how important music yeah. was to him and that I, I didn't help pick the songs. I don't know who picked the playlist, but knowing that someone picked all these songs that meant a lot to him, like, you know, for people like us where music is like really important to us, like that, that's more powerful than the eulogy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, t- here in like a job, I, I know, it's, I, I don't remember exactly what they played, but I'm sure like him being, if he were able to know that they played like a jawbreaker song or uh, what, what song was it that you referred to again? Kiss the bottle. Yeah. Him, knowing how that was his whole life. Like I think Cody like didn't have, he was too much of an addict to like ever really give himself enough time to be good, good at something. And I don't know about you, but I feel like had Cody not basically gone the like lay me low route with his addiction, I think like Cody could have been really successful as like, a soccer commentator. Like I think all the time about how much he would love Ted Lasso. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think he could have been a really good YouTuber. I think like Cody just was the victim of his surroundings and he was a victim, unfortunately, which I hate saying about somebody that I love, but I think he just like gave up at a certain point and he let himself kind of float away. And like, I guess the best part of it is that we do have all these stories about Cody. Like Mike wrote a really great song about Cody and um, it's a really sad song and it sucks to think about, but I guess the sort of tried and true sentiment is, you know, it's like the Phoenix from Harry Potter, which Cody would probably appreciate the reference. We're casting a wide net with how we're going about talking about this song. It's not very direct. But this is the sort of things my mind drifts to while thinking about it. Because, you know, I feel like everyone always says something like, I want my funeral to feel like a party. I don't want it to be sad. But it doesn't yeah. It doesn't often work out like that. But Never. this song has that energy of like a triumphant death, a fun death, if there can be such a thing. So it makes me think of the moments in my life at funerals that have been fun, as weird as that sounds, and and hearing music I love or 
just sitting around an awkward room with you and your brother eating grapes and crackers. You know, those are just like kind of silly memories that pop out from serious moments. It's funny. They always say that like moments around stressful events in your life, you lose a lot of of memory of over time. And I don't remember much about that day. I remember like, like little moments, like my favorite moment. This is a great moment from that. My family got somewhat estranged from like my friend's my for my friend group's parents when I was a kid when I went to St. Edward and my mom wasn't Christian my mom like didn't really like people telling her what to do or like playing by any kind of rule so like she just didn't get along with a lot of the men and women there and the way my dad was he really like dominated everything so the reason I say that is you know when Matthew's parents and him, who knew me as a kid, I hung out at his house when I was like, like from like as young as like six years old, and we were best buddies. And um, in fact, I I'm pretty sure up until I was like 14 or 15, and probably still somewhat now, I considered him like my best friend because I'd known him for so long. But now it's probably like you or you know someone else, but probably you. I can't. I can't. I can't listen. You can't put me on the spot like this, Ian. Always the um, best man, never the husband. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, the point I'm making is that Matthew and his parents got there, and they walked up to this guy who was, and I probably told this story on the podcast before, who looked at, like he looked exactly like me, like maybe three years prior to. <laughs> And they thought it was me, and they were like, Jake, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. So I'm standing here talking to this guy that they're thinking is me. And oh I'm God. like, oh, no, guys, like, I'm right here. And I remember this, like, look of, like, subtle terror in their eyes because the way they came in, they did not want to be there for very long. I could yeah. tell. And then when that happened... They said they gave they said they came up, they gave me a hug, they gave me their condolences, and I could I have never seen a group of people exit a room so quickly. And who who did they mistake for you? Do you remember who you're talking to? It was this guy. So there was this guy named Mark Wilson, I think was his name, uh, who my dad was friends with from the karate school that he taught at. And what was really interesting about Mark and my dad is that Mark was like 15 years younger than him. Okay, I thought so, it was going to be like Mark's son. It, it was this Mark guy. Himself. No, so it was Mark's brother okay. who, was at, uh, who was a little bit older than Mark. So worth my dad was 50-something at the time. Mark was probably like late 30s. His brother was probably, you know, either late 30s, early 40s. So they were mistaking and, this, this 40-year-old man for 25-year-old you. Exactly. That it, makes it, it funnier. It, it's so funny because I think that in like polite society, like that's not something like, but I wish I could remember how I reacted because I, I hope that I laughed because it's very funny. Well, it's um, like one of the worst, like, you know, once in a while I'll be at the grocery store, like I'll be out in public and like someone from high school comes up and like mm-hmm. you don't remember who they are. And it's like the worst feeling ever. Oh, it's bad. They have yeah, to remind bad. you their name. You're like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. 
that's like the worst feeling ever. But then you add on top of it having that feeling at a funeral. It's just, you know, it's the best like kind of curb enthusiasm, like ultimate awkward moment. It's exactly my sense of humor. Um, but try to pull in the reins here. Um, I don't, I don't feel like lyrically I have much more to say. So before I move on to my next idea, which isn't like a, you know, it's more so about the music itself. Do you, do you have anything about the lyrics or like the, like the song material itself that you wanted to mention or speak on? No, I mean, I love them, but like you, I mean, they're not, uh, I don't have one specific line or anything. I, I get a real Shel Silverstein or Dr. Seuss kind of vibe from the lyrics. These are these are good. These are like B, B-plus lyrics for Nick, which isn't a bad thing. I think they're just not the best lyrics that he's written, but for him, they're they're great. Well, I don't, it, it's the, hard to compare. Like, that's a tough thing with a song like this. It's hard to compare this to the best lyrics because if he yeah. was writing his best lyrics this song wouldn't be silly. It wouldn't be silly. And I, so that's it, what it's, I... It's hard to compare something like this to a song on Ghostine because they're so not the same thing. But I know what you mean. I agree with you. Do you know there's like an instrument that makes like kind of a... Like the sound of a teardrop or a raindrop? Like bull? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and I will... Uh, I'm assuming this is what you're going to ask. I was wondering if that was like an instrument or if that was like a digital effect to like a xylophone or something? Well, I don't know. I don't know either, but this song has a very like, once again, I'm kind of stretching it here, but you know that like Benny Hill thing where like yeah. they're going in and out of doors and like chasing each other. Yeah. It, it, it makes me think of that like in a way like that. <laughs> like it. You know, like there, there's like a scene where they're carrying Nick in the coffin, like through the room, and then they come out, and Nick's chasing them with the coffin or as a weapon. He falls out of the coffin, a la coffin flop. Coffin flop. Um, have you heard the live in Munich version of this? Yeah, that version is far superior to the uh, Let Love In one because they have got that chorus that's just like, um, or the choir. I'm sorry, that's mm -hmm. just repeating the like oh my gosh so we actually were supposed to do this like a like two weeks ago but earthlings came out so earthlings came out before um so i got to i i first heard it when i was at the gym one night um and i was like oh my god this song's amazing and i i, I admittedly i don't like a lot of the stuff i've heard from let love in that much and so i don't know if this is according to you if this is the best your favorite track on the record then i it's only downhill from here yeah but i i, I think um let love in is a is a weird record like that because i think other than red right and which would probably be most people's favorite i think everyone's second favorite song on this record is going to be pretty different because this record has yeah. a lot of like vibes a lot of genres a lot of the nick cave records have like a a through line, like a, a sound throughout the whole record. This this record doesn't really. It's all over the place. Yeah, I am... I don't know. I'd be curious to see, like, how people rank the songs on this album because I think thus far of the ones we've talked about, Jangling Jack is probably the worst one. Um, 
Les Milo is probably my favorite, and then Lover Man after that. But that's just you know what I've heard from the record. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think this is a like a really strong song, and it's unfortunate that they don't play it anymore because like I would love to see this one performed live. And I say this every time with like the great songs on this podcast, but I mean this song would be epic live, like because he's just getting to channel that like. I don't really feel like Nick until later in his career, like he didn't become this kind of like guy that could just like fucking sing into a mic. And I feel like this is one track on an album where he's like really just going for it. Like he's just like having fun, doing all the kind of cliche, like soulful kind of singing among like the more chaotic tracks uh, around on this album or around this era, you know, because Stagger Lee and stuff came out around this time. And, um, you know, Henry's Dream wasn't too far before this. So it's a pretty interesting perform, like a uh, transformance from the early, you know, late 80s, early 90s stuff to this. I think that he just couldn't play it anymore. Like in this post, his son dying world. He's yeah, become yeah, like yeah. this this arbiter of grief for people. And I think this song, the silliness in relation to death, like it just, this is so not who he is anymore. I just don't, I, I doubt this song would ever be played again. He's almost like, have you ever heard of a sin yeah. eater? Yeah. He He's become like a sin eater for like uh-huh. grief for people. Like people just ride into him with the saddest stuff and he just has to take it all. And I bet every morning he wakes up to like 20 emails of... The most depressing stories and that's like his life now there's a really good comedy sketch in there somewhere where it's like a public access like interview show where people call in and it's just nick cave and it's called the grieving hour <laughs> and they just talk and about their children well dying. he he takes it really seriously but he also like he it's kind of an exaggerated version of himself so he's got like a fake crow that's like perched behind him and then there's like a it's kind of got like a Halloween-y kind of feel. So like people don't really know how to take it. I think that would be so funny. We'll uh, have to write into him and see what he thinks about that. Um, but yeah, I think that pretty much wraps it up for me for Lay Me Low. A uh, really solid track and um, one of my favorite ones we've listened to thus far. It's up there. Uh, yeah, and in other Nick Cave news, we forgot to talk about this the other day. There Happy is birthday! A, a new Nick Cave book coming out. Looks like Awkward. it won't be out for about a year from now. They they announced books so early. But it's called Faith, Hope, and Carnage. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be about, I think, just his life since his son passed. It looks like he did a ton of interviews with a journalist named uh, Sean O'Hagan. Mm-hmm. And the book will be... You know, I guess this journalist pulled all these hours of interviews and made a narrative out of it. So I'm sure we'll definitely, I'm sure we'll cover it on here, but we're about a year out from it coming out. Man, can you imagine, here's a little bit of gallows humor for you to stay on, to stay on theme with the episode, but can you imagine the, uh, his agent when he finds out that Nick's son dies, he's like, oh my gosh, I'm, I can't believe it. And then he turns to his left really really quickly. He's got a little Bluetooth in, and he's like, yeah, 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 book deal, two years. 
Oh my god. <laughs> I'm dude, I'm, I'm positive. I don't know any agents, yeah. but I'm positive that is how they think about everything. Yeah, they have to. I I I I mean, once again, agents are ripe for like comedy cuz you know, their whole thing like I think that's why I think that's why we're so obsessed with death and stuff and that's why it's funny to, and there's so much shit about like violence and death in our country is that like capitalism makes it so that like even death is like treated as like an exchange or a transaction um you know so i don't, I don't know if, if we've talked about this specifically you talking about like you know the joke with the agent didn't make me think of when when his son died it was like really crazy to me because i had already been a fan and i knew nick cave as the guy who like always has this undercurrent of campiness or is always like poking fun at something or it's always, you know, he makes very serious art, but there's always like some sort of satire or humor or comedy in it. And even like push the sky away is more artsy and serious, but there's still like shit about Miley Cyrus and Hannah Montana. And you know, there's all kinds of like silliness on the record. So when his son died, I, I was like, what is he gonna do? Like he has to change, and he did. Yeah, but I oh, had yeah, I had a similar him. thought where I was like, "What? What does he do now?" I, I would bank on the fact that, like, depending on the musician, that like, "Push the Sky Away" might have been the last thing we ever heard from him, and and you know if if he weren't if he mm. like depending on how it hit him, you know what I mean. Because some people might just be like, that's it, I'm done. Nothing else to, I can't, I can't handle it. But, you know, for him, he had, like, he probably had to process it that way, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, people, people like that, that's the only way they know how to deal with life. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's, I think that pretty much covers it, um, Hopefully, maybe when that memoir comes out, we'll we'll do a little short episode about it. We'll do a book club or something. So we'll uh, you know discuss that. See if we we're both pretty Ian and I are pretty busy guys. So if, we'll uh, if you know, I'm sure. Obviously, the book's already written. I'm sure there will be mm-hmm. mock-ups soon. If uh, whoever's publishing this, I can't find out who it is. Penguin Random House. I don't know. If you want some Maybe free they'll send press, us a little demo. If you want some, free, some free press, press. mail us an early copy of the book. We'll cover it. We'll do like some uh, some dance music. We'll make like a video. Nick Cave book review. Uh, but anyway, that's on the Jubilee Street TikTok channel. <laughs> coming soon. Um, well, guys and gals and people, uh, thanks for listening again to another episode of Jubilee Street, a music podcast. Um, I have been Jake Curtis. Uh, they have been Ian McCurtis. And you can check us out on Apple Music or Spotify or any other listening platform for all your podcast needs. Make sure if you do listen to us there, you leave us a rating, like, and subscribe. Uh, we just started a YouTube channel, so check that out on our Instagram, which is at Jubilee Street Pod on Instagram. Uh, you can find a link 
bio or our Linktree bio on our Instagram page, where you can check out all of our links to all the stuff I've mentioned already. Um, so if you like the podcast, uh, share it with your friends, message us. We have an email where we take uh, mail questions, uh, jubileestreetpod at gmail.com. And I think that about covers it. You guys have a good night. Keep on caving. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye.